Hello, and thank you for joining us, and welcome to the second in the series of short webinars entitled Five Questions with. I'm Celeste Kalanko, Managing Director of Liberum IME, and today we have with us Miriam Ullman from the AO Foundation. Hi, hi Miriam, thank you for joining us this afternoon. Hi, Celeste, thanks for inviting me. I'm very excited. Um, yeah, Good. it's great to be here. Good, good. Thank you. Um, we were we, we were chatting ahead of time, and we're we're hoping that all of our technical uh, facilities work today, and uh, none of our animals or childrens or pets or anybody disturb us. But I think we've got that all under control. So thank you again, uh, you know, for joining us. Um, you know, here at Liberum, we're committed to supporting the medical education community, especially at this unprecedented time that we're living in right now. Um, and there are actually a lot of great initiatives out there that are supplying education on COVID-19, but after assessing the needs of both the healthcare educators and learners, um, we felt that our best contribution from Liberum would be to support those who are actually doing the educating of the healthcare professionals, um, both people who are doing this on the front lines and also people who are trying to maintain some type of traditional continuing medical education. So we decided to have this short series of question and answer webinars uh, with experts from different stakeholder groups um, in this space. And uh, our purpose is to allow colleagues to learn from each other's experiences, basically, and share some ideas on how education can continue to be helpful uh, resource in what's really a dramatically different world than even just a couple of months ago. So as I said earlier today, we have Miriam. Uh, Miriam Ullman is uh, a PhD who is the Manager of Faculty Development at the AO Foundation, uh, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to improving the care of people with muscular skeletal injuries. Um, Miriam holds over 20 years of experience in the healthcare environment. And we're really excited, uh, Miriam, to hear uh, what your thoughts are on work, um, education, uh, and what life might look like, both what we're seeing right now and as we continue um, through the COVID-19 episode and, and even beyond. Um, so th again, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, and I apologize, I always have a problem with saying muscular skeletal. So uh, <laughs> I do please, too. Please, please forgive me for that. Um, so today we have five questions for you, and really it's just really a dialogue um, that we, we're hoping that you can give us just your personal insights from what you're experiencing. Um, so our first question today is, what have been the greatest challenges to date for you under the new normal? Right. So I actually very much appreciated that you sent me these five questions because it also helped me to reflect on the past few weeks and really think about the things that happened um, because I think it was maybe crazy for everyone in education, medical education. And um, it really allowed me to sit back for at least an hour and think about the things that happened. So um, whatever the new normal will be, um, which we maybe don't know yet, but I think for me, as a passionate teacher and educator, one of the biggest challenges in the AO, uh, which is a global organization, was in, in the beginning um, when it was clear that most of the face-to-face -face events have to be postponed and canceled. 
So everyone, like Diego, we do have four clinical divisions and five regions, and everyone wanted to do everything online, no matter how. And um, we from the Education Institute somehow try to figure out how to help people and how to still somehow keep our education, what we have been doing, which of course consists of evidence-based um, concepts. They somehow, it felt like everything was all over the place, but no one really put any thoughts on what will be the outcomes, how do we measure? So it was really like maybe the, fourth, the first four weeks just like everyone did something. And that I personally found that very challenging as we have been trying also, of course, with faculty development to make sure that we use sound adult learning principles um, and things like this. So it was really like we said, people running around like headless chickens. Um, it, of course, started in Asia Pacific. So we already had a little bit of time, but that was one of the things I found very challenging to really again align um, people and make sure that we still convince to use certain concepts right just because technology is there um, it doesn't mean that it we achieve outcomes that we want so yeah yeah so so that it, that's obviously a great challenge uh, and i and i think your expression of chickens with our heads uh you know chickens with their heads cut off is a perfect example because i think everybody uh whatever aspect of, of um health uh medical education the healthcare community all kind of felt that same way so um a good description i'm glad that <laughs> i wasn't the only one feeling that way right um, so my second question then for you is what has surprised you the most or what was your biggest learning from the current pandemic situation? Um, well, I have a personal surprise with, which actually was um, that I would never ever have expected to know or to have so or to have insights into so many living rooms of some friends I know since many years <laughs> and some colleagues and people whom I never met before, um, just as a side note. Um, no, I think um, maybe one great learning was that the, the, I think the EO as an organization is great in networking. Um, however, I felt during this time, it, this was even more important for, um, for our search and as orthopedics was not really, um, at least most of the surgeons in our network were not um, directly, or they, they weren't on duty, right? So some of them had a lot of time while others were still engaged. Some of them worked a little bit. And um, I think again, as a global organization, what we found was that um, pretty soon some of the surgeons for example from spain um, who already had a lot of experience came and said well we would like to share the experience and um, i think within three weeks we had somehow a great pool of resources and um, i think it was really this network kind of thing that um, proved that this is so important i think that was one of the um, I maybe didn't expect it in that um, in that intensity 
as it finally um, as it finally happened i think yeah yeah I, I i think about that a little bit and that's and it really is amazing how people have really kind of pulled together and tried to you know to help educate and what's yeah. best for the patients and share their experiences and you know i i love your comment about seeing into each other's living rooms and you know and uh you know, you're seeing my dining room here today. Uh, so, you know, but but I think that's true. We, we're feeling much more intimate in some ways, even right. though we're even though that we are farther apart. And I sometimes ask myself, you know, what would we have done 10 or 15 years ago when this technology was certainly not as readily available but uh it, it uh yeah i i agree with you i think it has allowed people to get together and it's great to hear that you're you know the community that you've built um through the ao foundation that you're finding that everybody's helping to contribute but i guess as you said it probably depends on how busy um individual right. physicians are yeah and we were you finding that that some really just were, you know, because to your point, a lot of them are surgeons um, that they were really just kind of stuck at home with nothing yeah. to do. And then others were, were somewhat, you know, yeah. dealing with the front lines. Is that what you were seeing? Yeah, it was also interesting, of course, because you had this wave coming from Asia Pacific to Europe to the US to Latin America. So when we really somehow when it arrived in Europe and we maybe as the headquarter of the AO is in Europe. Um, we had our surgeons from Asia Pacific and they said, oh, no, no, we don't want to have any more COVID webinars. We would like to learn about orthopedics because they already mm -hmm. had this one month of COVID webinars somehow behind them. And they really, um, so the needs were different by week nearly. Um, and that was another interesting thing I felt um, that yeah, I think the needs, they changed very much. There was maybe a global need for um, COVID-19 topics in orthopedics, but then those who already have been approached to all of this, they wanted to go back to their own profession and really um, okay. concentrate on other topics as they somehow already okay. felt a little bit overwhelmed maybe or satisfied okay. by um, information. Yeah. So that that's really a good point, and it really leads into my next question for you: is um, how are you and the AO Foundation hoping to support your membership um, at this time, uh, particularly with their continuing medical education and development, uh, professional development, but maybe in other areas that you know that we haven't thought about. Um, right. So I have to say, in the actually in the AO, the AO Foundation is a. Uh, pretty traditional in education. So um, maybe it has also to do that. I mean, orthopedics is something where you need to, it's a manual skills, right? And um, mm -hmm. so most of our educational offerings were face-to-face. -face. And of course, um, we had to think about um, new ways. We already did webinars as most of the organizations do. So we increased the number of webinars drastically. So that was one thing. Um, the other thing was also that for our basic courses, which many of them had to be canceled, uh, we started to offer an online version. And just as a, yeah, as a, not really as a replacement because still I think uh, we struggle a little bit with um, how to teach practical skills 
um, mm -hmm. in an online setting, but that um, that was another thing. And in addition, because um, I'm the manager of faculty development, the other thing was that we also started to provide more resources on online teaching for our faculty members, as this was something that obviously was required. However, there is not much, much literature. We, pers we do have some experiences. Um, however, I think it was a lot of learning by doing also from our faculty members. So what we try to do um, to figure out who did online teaching where and then try to get as much feedback as possible in order to be able to prepare the next um, cohort of faculty members who need to teach online. So that yeah. that are just some of the of the things. So how are they how are your constituents how are your memberships finding that making that transition to something that's really to your point orthopedics is a skill that really needs practice and face-to-face -face interaction and, and and that type of thing but um obviously we're not able to do that right now how, how are they feeling are they is it an easy transition uh do you have anybody that's like no no i just can't do this how, yeah. how is that working out? I think it depends a little bit on your target audience and on your experience level. What we found was that, um, of course, younger surgeons or residents. Um, so we put up an online course that's usually a face-to-face -face course, and within five hours, it somehow was sold out. So the need obviously is there, and they, I think for now, they didn't mind too much that they couldn't do any practical um, exercise while we found that for experts it is more difficult it maybe has to do because they came up through traditional education um, activities and they have been faculty members since many years and some of them they struggle a little bit with the online teaching and others I think they adapted very well so I think the important thing is also here that same principles apply, right? If you run, just as an example, if you run a small group discussion face-to-face -face or online, the same principles apply. However, usually in the online part, there are some technical challenges and glitches. And yeah, yeah. but I think in general, because the need for education is high anyway, um, they adjust it pretty well. However, of course, we still will try to offer face-to-face -face whenever possible. Yeah. Or I think mainly it will, um, as most of our courses was sold, were solely face-to-face, -face, I think we will go more into blended learning activities in general. Yeah, in blended learning in general. What do you think about like small groups or smaller areas? Because I know a lot of these, um, you know, we'll get into question four here as you know right. we're seeing face-to-face -face meetings you know being just outright canceled or postponed but many of them are now just canceled for this year you know how do you see that learning interaction being supplemented you're saying blended learning can you tell us a little bit more about that yeah we actually um not only now, but um, some time ago, we started to do what we call like hospital-based education, which goes mm -hmm. more local um, than regional and international. So that, of course, will be one concept um, that most probably will work better in the future as people, as there might be restrictions to travel around, I think that would be one of the things um, to go more local. Also, it doesn't need to be only in a hospital, but in a 
in a local area or in a in a specific country i mean there is also advantages if you do this you don't have language issues and things like that so that was a concept we actually already started to think of so i think that would be something that will be uh, where we put more emphasis and development into that in in the near future what do you think is the future of like uh, you know simulation or the 3d you know uh, uh, immersion and that kind of thing do you see anything like that happening anytime in the near future um, yeah, so of course, um, also in orthopedics, we try to have simulations in whatever way. The, I think the, 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 one of the challenges to get haptic feedback. So if you drill in a bone, um, I think that's one of the most difficult things in a, in a simulation. However, um, th there is some ways on how to work on that. Also for procedures, for example, um, you can train procedures without really doing them. So there are quite some some projects on the way. However, um, and I also speak for myself because I'm a passionate teacher, not for surgeons in clinical areas, but in faculty development. I don't think that that we will ever be able to replace face-to-face -to -face totally because there is so much also, when we talk about informal learning, there is so much that happens if you go to a face-to-face -face course, but maybe you have a question, the question only comes five minutes, or during the coffee break, you talk to your friends and your colleagues. Um, I don't yeah. think that technology is so far yet that you can, that this can be replaced. So, and as I said, simulation in orthopedics still um, not very grown up, I think, so. Yeah. We will see. I mean, I, I think I think you bring up a good point. Um, I, I think a lot of people, especially now, um, you know, I, I was having this conversation with somebody um, earlier today and said, you know, when when we all first locked down and we had a, you know, a, a, the at the very beginning, we were still learning about COVID, um, you know, everything was closed, everything was locked down. And I think everybody kind of you know, put their mind to, okay, we're doing this for the cause, you know, to help save people. And, you know, we're, we're going to, to do this and, uh, and we're going to get through this. And I think as time has gone on, you know, we realize um, whether we want to always acknowledge it or not, that COVID's not going anywhere um, for a, a while. Uh, but at the same point in time, we're starting to really miss those, um, those interactions and that that human aspect and you know right. i know that there are several conferences that i would have been attending you know later this year and to your point seeing seeing colleagues and and, and friends and people that you you know they're international you only get to see them once or, or twice a year right. uh in in person and you know it's kind of hard to have um, sit down over a dinner table and, you know, when, when we're all doing this, when we're, when we're all online. So I think a lot of people are starting to miss that. But I do think that probably some of the practicalities of right. what we're, you know, what we're looking today, we are, you know, back to your original point, I think some sort of a blended learning um, situation, uh, you know, will, will be necessary. And, uh, you know, more of that regional and small group um, to your point, in certain hospitals where there's, um, you know, s smaller group learning instead of maybe some yeah. of 
larger congresses. Um, I don't expect that you have a crystal ball, but if you did, when do you think or do you think we'll go back to the large conferences and their large meetings anytime soon? And I won't hold you to this. This is completely your guess at this point in time. Um, I, I don't think so. Um, but not for a while. Yeah. Maybe, as I said, I can imagine that it maybe yeah, goes more regional and then more online as well. However, as you said, I think maybe smaller groups of people still could meet. Or maybe, I mean, in general, if you think about it, I mean, education usually is more powerful if you do it with fewer people. So mm -hmm. the question maybe, even if there is a big conference, if you put people into smaller groups that would actually hopefully increase learning outcomes uh, of yeah. participants, right? So maybe having yeah. bigger conferences, but having smaller groups of people being together at one time. Yeah, I, you know, you mentioned something that is a real challenge here for us uh, as educators as uh, in this area is trying to um, find out the outcomes of our education. It's all fine, well, and good to do that. And I think we all uh, aspire to high levels of, uh, of outcomes from the education. Right. But the practical aspect is it's not always that easy. I know. And, and, and I think, yeah, I think I'm, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but I do think that when we do look at smaller group settings, it's much easier when you've got a group of less than 20, you know, right. to try to really focus in and figure out what exactly that outcome of that, you know, yeah. educational either individual piece or program. Um, so I think that will be a positive that we're seeing. And I think probably we will see, as you said, maybe maybe biannual conferences instead of annual and, you know, and, and using those more for distributing the the, the major research and the the, the, right. the new science and the hot topics. But I, I agree. I think more of the day-to-day -day learning, which I don't, you know, I don't think is necessarily a bad thing no. uh, is going to be in, in, in that smaller group, yeah. um, smaller group setting. I mean, also, if I think about if we do more blending, maybe things are getting also more sustainable or the le learning gets maybe a little bit a longer um, process as just if you go to a conference and that's it. Right. So. Yeah. Um, I think there are actually quite some advantages. Yeah, you're, you're, you kind of get to live it as well on a day-to-day -day right. basis. So my final question for you today is what piece of advice would you give other colleagues in a similar role to yours, uh, both, during the con both during the current crisis, but you know, um, moving on in the, in the near and maybe further future? Yeah, I thought about this question and I actually think I want to come back to what I said in um, during the first question, maybe. I think the important thing is that we really, um, as there is some evidence that the same principles in adult learning apply to online and um, whatever kind of technology, I think it's important that we don't let technology drive the process but the evidence. 
And um, I think also now is the time to really increase the evidence on how online learning works, because I think we still have a little bit of a lack. I think we know that it works, but we don't know exactly what works on the what or in which context and things like that. So I think it's very important. And this is one of our challenges too, that we do proper evaluation and assessment processes, measuring outcomes, even though with everyone now does a lot of activities um, in order to make sure that we learn from all these experiences we made in the past 10 weeks, maybe. I don't think that we ever had have had the opportunity to have such experiences. Otherwise, um, at least from an EO point of view, I think never ever have we moved so fast and tried so many different things out. And I think that that would be important, really. That um, and what you mentioned in the beginning, right? Really sharing best practices and doing webinars um, to see what works and what doesn't. I think that yeah. would be my yeah. piece of advice, maybe. Do you do you think? And to your point, um. You know, and again, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. There often were a lot of, uh, you know, chats with your um, with your colleague in the hall, uh, and a lot of learning. Is that? Do you think that that's going to continue, or you know, when you're maybe a little bit more remote, um, you know, the, the virtual pick up the phone, and you, you know, are people are people going to do that? Do you think? Do you advise that? Yeah, I mean, from a personal Point, and that's maybe not only to do with learning, but also in general, how you keep up with people. So um, what we try to do in the AO internally, um, what we also saw with the surgeons, instead of doing face-to-face -face meetings, we now have monthly meetings, which we never did before, which is much, I have to say, I asked myself, why didn't we do this before? Because you still can chat with people. And if not everyone can join, that's fine. So we did the same like... Um, in the AO, we do some virtual coffee breaks and things like that to really to share. It's a little, as I mentioned in the beginning, still we have a lot of, um, we have our regional offices, we have different clinical divisions. However, I think it takes a little bit more effort as you just, if you go to the coffee break while everyone is in the office. Um, but I think you, it may, it doesn't really replace that, but I think you, can get there um, if you have if you take a little effort <laughs> and uh, and and travel I know you used to travel all the time uh, and that's is that re reduced do you think do you think life is is as good without all of the extra travel or yeah I mean I have to say I now I enjoy to be at home however and I lately talked to one of my colleagues and she traveled a lot too and uh, we felt like maybe it will be time to to travel again <laughs> so um, okay. yeah, yeah but of course we will see yeah it's also depends um, usually when i travel i teach and as teaching is my is my passion this goes hand in hand so i really miss the teaching part i don't miss the travel part so much um so yeah. for this year we yeah. plan two events in switzerland which hopefully will take place so no travel but teaching but teaching, and that's good. And back to that, still, we're still missing that human interaction, no matter how good the technology is. 
So, well, thank you very much um, for sure. joining us today. I think you brought a really interesting perspective um, and especially the fact that you are a global organization and you're kind of been watching this as it kind of moves along. Um, so I think you've, you've given us some really good uh, insights and maybe validated some of our experiences, which is always really, really good um, to know as well that we're, we're all we have similar but different, um, you know, issues that we're in challenges. And, you know, the more we listen to each other, we can come up with solutions for that. So thank you. Thank you again um, for thank joining you. me today. Um, thank you to the audience and for everyone who joined us today. Um, uh, we will be back again in two weeks. Uh, but next time we're actually going to be uh, doing this on a Wednesday. Uh, and at that time, we will be speaking with Kirk Lenzone Terry, who is the Director of Education and Operations for the ASTCT, which is the American Society for Transplantation and Cellular Therapy. Um, Kirk is based in Chicago, USA, uh, and uh, he is an international medical educational professional who's um, done many types of roles, educational roles, uh, with uh, organizations like the International Parkinson's and Movement Disorder Society and the American Association of Cardiovascular and Pulmonary Re Re Rehabilitation. So please join us on the 24th, and we'll see um, what he has to say. Miriam, thank you again very much, and have a very good afternoon. Thank you. Same to you. Thanks, Thanks. everyone. Bye. Bye.